0: Welcome to Game Pinions Episode 50. I'm your host, Kalman, and today we are back again for another episode of Game Pinions. For those of you that do not know, Game Pinions is a podcast where we talk selectively about video games, gaming news, and our gaming experiences, both new and old. And every Thursday, a brand new episode spawns out of your favorite podcast portal, youtube.com, and gamepinions.net. This week's topics include. Mixer, my reunitement with Star Wars Episode One Racer on the Nintendo Switch, uh, various other little you know pieces of Nintendo news that I either didn't have a chance to talk about or things that have happened this week, and then you know a couple things about some PlayStation, not really news, but just some things that I wanted to talk about with uh, PlayStation. So let's go ahead and get this started. We're on episode 50 here. It's insane to see that number, honestly. I can't believe that we are on episode 50. I've never worked on a project for this long. And it's just, it's awesome to see that number. That's a a little bit of a a milestone for me. So really excited about that. So let's get into Mixer and Mixer shutting down. It was kind of a surprise. People were not really expecting this to happen. And this week, Microsoft basically announced that Mixer was going to be shutting down on July 22nd. And it will move existing partners over to Facebook gaming. And it's uh, it's pretty insane. Uh, in an interview with The Verge, Microsoft Xbox head Phil Spencer had this to say, and I quote, We started pretty far behind in terms of where Mixer's monthly active viewers were compared to some of the big players out there. I think the Mixer community is really going to benefit from the broad audience that Facebook has through their properties and the abilities to reach gamers in very seamless ways through the social platform Facebook has. So, Facebook gaming, it's one that I always kind of, you know, forget about, really. You know, I think it's actually pretty popular. and It's obviously one of the big players here in this uh, video game live streaming. But I've always, I don't know, I've always thought of, you know, the, the live streams as Mixer, Twitch, and YouTube. So, the fact that I see Mixer, you know, going away now, it's kind of it was kind of shocking to see. I mean, there's probably people that, you know, could point out like, Hey, you know, you could kind of see this happening from like, you know, miles away. Mixer was never really all that popular, but for someone like me, I didn't really keep up with Mixer. I actually never even went on Mixer, you know, to be completely honest with you. Um, so seeing it from afar and seeing this happen, it was very shocking, especially because, you know, it feels just recently they signed Ninja to a really, um, you know, long-term deal and it was, you know, pretty lucrative for Ninja. And they also signed um, Shroud, who is another streamer, apparently don't know much about him. Ninja, I think, is more a little bit more mainstream. But I I don't know. I don't really know a ton about either one of them, but they just signed them to deals. And I looked at Mixer as, you know, from, I guess, my perspective, kind of like the the Spotify of, you know, these video game live streaming uh, websites. So the fact that they're, you know, taking it away, that service is gone, It's, uh, it's crazy because I thought that they were going to be one of the major players. I thought that, you know, they would be the ones to kind of combat Twitch and and kind of be their, their biggest competitors. But clearly I was wrong. I just, you know, didn't really ever look into that. So it's pretty crazy, honestly, to see that. Now there's a whole bunch of different speculation as to what this could be. Uh, A lot of it points to uh, Microsoft wanting to have a relationship with Facebook. And it seems like that this deal was probably in the works for a while now. And uh, this is basically what Phil Spencer had to say. And all this is coming from The Verge. I just want to clarify that before going any further. And he says, and I quote, it wasn't as much about return on sale. It was about finding a partnership that was the best for the community and streamers. We think this is it. It gives us a great place to launch more xCloud content and give gamers the ability to play from there when we think about Xcloud and the opportunity to unlock gameplay for two billion players we know it's going to be critically important that our services find large audiences and Facebook clearly gives them that opportunity so Xcloud is going to be their streaming service um, you know their game streaming service I believe they're um, you know similar to like Google stadia and you know uh, PlayStation now and all that so the fact that we're going to see some kind of integration on Facebook I don't really know exactly what that means. It's a little bit weird. I guess, you know, Facebook is going to be a platform that you can probably use for that in some way, shape or form. Uh, I'm a little bit shady on that. I'm not really sure um, what that necessarily means, but it's, uh, you know, it shows that they have some intentions with Facebook. Another speculation that I saw kind of floating around is Facebook owns Oculus And maybe Microsoft is trying to find also a solution to VR to combat, you know, PlayStation VR and, you know, the Vive and all that going into the next generation. That's something that you don't really have. We haven't heard anything about HoloLens, which is, I believe, uh, augmented reality or something like that, or augmented virtuality. I forget which one it was. I believe it was augmented reality. Um, We haven't really heard anything about that or it's been canceled or something. I forget what happened to it. So that was kind of been throwing around and it's, uh, it's really kind of sad, you know, because you go around and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, Ninja's going to be out of luck. But no, those two streamers that I mentioned and a few others that signed deals, you know, I believe that money was guaranteed. So they're actually going to be making out like bandits here and they're free to go wherever they want. Now, Facebook obviously was the group that, you know, they're trying to direct people to and it's going to be redirected to. But a lot of these streamers, I don't think really want to go to Facebook and some of them will be going to Twitch. And it seems like these other platforms are pretty welcoming to have them there. I believe that you can apply for like Twitch partnerships and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool to see that occurring. So the community on on Twitter, which is, you know, the main community that I kind of keep an eye on, they've been really supportive. There's actually been quite a few tweets here that I actually collected. Yeah, and this is a, a solo episode, but... I went ahead and collected some tweets so we can go read some tweets that, you know, I just found randomly. And this is something that we used to do on the earlier episodes. And uh, I'm trying to bring that back, especially for these solo episodes. So let's go ahead and hop over to at Queen Eliminator. I'm sorry, Eliminator. (laughs) It it wouldn't be a a Twitter readout without me uh, butchering all of these ats. As much as losing Mixer hurt like hell, I can't express enough how excited I am about Facebook Gaming. I'm also just super motivated to grind again, and I haven't felt like this in so long. Thank you for supporting me, and thank you, Facebook partners, for being so welcoming. And so that's someone that is moving on to this new platform, and I'm sure it's scary, especially if you have an established audience. I mean, it has to be scary to to kind of move on, but you can also look at it as a challenge. You know, and this may give a, a greater audience for people, considering that the viewership was up on Facebook Gaming as opposed to how it was on Mixer. So this is, I mean, this could be a good thing in you know the long term. And then we have one for at I'm Gray Fox. Now I thought this one was really nice, and he said, "Listen, if you stream on Mixer and you are worried about where to go once Mixer closes, come to my Twitch stream, and I will try to plug your stream and get my viewers to help you grow." And then he hashtags uh, support small streamers, hashtag mixer shutdown, hashtag Twitch. Please retweet this, please. I want to help. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I think that a lot of this comes from Twitch streamers thinking if this was, you know, them in that situation, they're, they're all of a sudden Twitch goes down and it's like, where do we go? We had a bit of an audience and now it's gone. Some people were in their infantile stages, right? You know, you're just kind of starting out or you've been doing it for maybe a couple months or maybe a year and you're starting to see some growth and you, maybe you didn't qualify to be like a partner or, you know, I think it was just a mixer partner. And now the plug, the plug is pulled and you're essentially starting over from scratch. I think that it's awesome to see, you know, these other streamers on other platforms really reaching out and embracing these other streamers from Mixer, you know, to come to the platform, help them grow and try to share the audience with them. I think that's awesome. I think that's a really, really cool and um, genuinely nice thing to do. All right, so now we also have one from at Riptide. It's effing insane how Mixer shut down and literally every other company is doing more than Mixer for Mixer streamers. And a lot of people said, you know, if Mixer would just invest in making the streaming service better instead of trying to acquire talent to bring everyone over, that maybe the situation would have been different. Because it seems to me like the whole Ninja signing didn't really help them that much. And really, it actually hurt Ninja's views long term. And I think that never really went up to how it was on Twitch. He, of course, is able to go wherever he wants, along with uh, Shroud and a few other streamers. But yeah, I mean, that's something that you can question, right? I mean, should Mixer have waited to establish a better platform before trying to bring in the talent? Or were they afraid that maybe someone else was going to offer a contract to them? And they just saw this as an opportunity to kind of buy viewership. And it was, an, it was an aggressive business strategy, but maybe it wasn't the smartest one at the time. So it's, it's something to think about. This is at Matt Kraken 11 Streamers that have to switch platforms due to Mixer shutdown, I designed some offline screens to help you migrate your audience. Find the free downloads with the project files on my website. That is mattkraken.myportfolio.com which I think that is a really cool thing too. And he has a screenshot here of different like tags that you can, I guess, put links into and it allows people to kind of find your um, news stream a lot easier. It makes the, the, the process a lot seamless. Um, that's, that's awesome. And I think even in the comments, Matt putting that, you know, he is trying to put himself in their shoes, right? If you're in that situation, just like kind of what I was saying earlier, it's, it's scary. You know, you don't know what to do. So having people that care and are genuinely trying to help that's huge. That's something that I think is, you know, great for Twitch, seeing that you have, you know, content creators on there. Um, And even if he's on a different platform, I believe he's on Twitch, but it's, it's showing that, you know, this community is pretty good. There's always going to be bad parts of communities. We've talked about some of those in a previous episode, but like I said, there are some really genuine good people on Twitch. And I think the majority of them are. And the fact that there's just such a a big outpour of support for these mixer streamers that, you know, some of them broke down in the tears because, of the service ending, you know, this was a big deal for them. That's like a you know Apple Podcast pulling out for your your podcast. I mean, it, it would, it's it's rough. I can't I can't imagine honestly. I'd be bummed out. But the fact that people are willing to help and people are extending a helping hand, uh, I think that speaks volumes for the ty- the kind of community that this you know streaming network of people has. So it's uh, it's really nice to see. Now, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know a ton about Mixer. But it wouldn't have been 2020 without one of the major video games uh, streaming services going down. It's just it's it's tough. And I mean, some people, I mean, they might be relying on Mixer for their livelihood. And it does seem like you know their partnerships are going to transfer over. But it's kind of like the whole Ninja situation. He went over to Mixer. Not everybody followed him over there. So that's always a concern. People might not want to go to Facebook Gaming. They might go back to Twitch. It's it's going to be a mess. It is. But hopefully everyone gets the uh you know, the help they need and they're able to, um, you know, reestablish their audience very quickly and seamlessly. And hopefully no one runs into any issues. And like I said, it's awesome to see the uh, outpouring support that other streamers have been putting out there. And this is only a small sample. There's actually a ton of them on Twitter. If you just, you know, look up those key terms. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really, really nice to see that, see that happen with, uh, you know, the support, obviously very unfortunate that Mixer went down it's causing distress for some people. So now We're going to hop on over to some Nintendo news and I guess just some personal news too about Nintendo. Number one, have to talk about, I was reunited with one of my favorite childhood games, which is Star Wars Episode One Racer. It's one of my favorite games of all time. One of my favorite racing games of all time. And I was concerned. I thought that this game may not hold up super well. And I felt like this was gonna be one of those games that would be very difficult to play. And I am very happy to say that I was completely wrong. And I was able to play this game today and was very impressed with honestly how well this game has held up. For those of you that have never played Star Wars Episode uh, One Racer, highly recommend getting this game. It's not a big commitment in terms of download size. And it's you know fairly inexpensive. I think it was like 15 bucks or something like that. Really not bad at all. And you're getting a really, really good racing game. It's high speed. you know it has great music. It has just the variety in racers and, and different pods that they have, you know, the different um, pod racers they have. It is really, really awesome to unlock them all and to, you know kind of pick the one that matches your style the best. I mean, obviously, you can customize the pod racers and you can kind of make them into what you want them to be. But I mean, my personal favorite was Mars Guo. That's who I rolled with and I haven't unlocked him yet. I've only done, I think maybe three races, but I'm really excited to hop into that and actually be able to play that game again. It's super nostalgic, but it's a really, really solid game. And you know, it gets harder as you progress, but it is really good. The only thing I could probably complain about is that I do wish that it did have some kind of like online multiplayer. I think that would have been a last, but unfortunately they did not do that. Now I did go ahead and collect some tweets and we will go ahead and read through those real quick. And this is at K underscore narrow. So yesterday I got star Wars one racer for switch. It was one of my favorite games on the Nintendo 64 and it looks really good on switch, which I agree. It does really good. Nostalgia trip. Now I hope rogue squadron and Jedi starfighter gets on switch, which Honestly, I think that that's a very big possibility, especially because I think these Star Wars games honestly are doing really well. Otherwise they wouldn't be bringing these out. So I think we're going to see quite a few. I'd love to see KOTOR make its way to the Switch as well. I think that would be a really good handheld game. I know there's a mobile version, but obviously having the buttons makes all the difference. I think that would be awesome. This next one is at Dean. Having spent hours on the Switch port of Star Wars Episode One Racer, one thing is abundantly clear. We need a remake. Make it happen. I agree. I think that this game definitely looks sharper. I played it on the PC, but I can definitely tell that there is definitely some kind of sharper, I don't know if they put like a filter on or something, but it definitely does look a little bit sharper and cleaner Maybe it's because of the smaller screen size. I'm not really sure, but it still looks really good. I mean, I don't think Star Wars Racer ever looked amazing, but it still looks really good and it's still super playable. I feel like the, um, you know, the, the draw distance is very, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's pretty improved compared to how I think it used to be. I think things just kind of used to pop up pretty, pretty close to how you were, you were viewing. So I, I definitely like that. It seems like they have improved like the draw distance and I guess maybe the rendering distance would probably be a better term to use there. So I definitely like that, but I completely agree. This game remade just to, you know, be silky smooth with like really high end visuals, man, this game would look amazing. And it'd be super fun to play. Uh, I'd love to see them expand upon it. Honestly, this next one is at Kohaku 233. Star Wars episode one racer on switch gave me such a nostalgic rush, nostalgia rush, I love the game so much when I played it on the Nintendo 64 and having it with me anywhere is so amazing. I agree. Honestly, it's so weird playing it on a handheld when I was so used to being tethered with the PC. I used to use a joystick and I used to sit at the computer and and use the joystick to play it. And we've probably broke like, I don't know, multiple joysticks on this game and we'd have to go out and buy, you know, another one, another one, another one. And it was a great experience. I mean, this was honestly probably one of the first major games that I had. You know, this was a big deal when I got it. I'm like, this is unreal. I was a huge pod racing fan when I was little. It was my favorite part about the Star Wars Episode One movie, and it still is. It may have been unnecessary in some, you know, degrees, but I just loved how the game took it so much further. There were so many different tracks, so many different characters that you actually got to experience. And in the movies, you don't really hear about them. Like, you know, I think they represent, they, you know, they talk about like Gasgano, Gano and they talk about Ben Quadroneros briefly, but you don't hear about Rats Terrell. You know, you don't hear about Juan Sandage or Odie Mandrell or, you know, Neva Key, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Mars Guo. And it's just so cool, like going in and seeing like their tracks and which ones they have the record on. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of explores a little part of Star Wars lore that I feel like they didn't really need to do, but just as a fan of the series and of the a fan of like this, I guess the sport, the, the, you know, sport that Star Wars had, and it was dangerous and it was crazy high speed. I thought it was awesome, especially as a kid being able to go and explore all these different tracks. And, you know, this is an actual circuit and an actual league. It's not just on Tatooine. It goes throughout the entire galaxy, which I think is really awesome. So the fact that they were able to expand on that, put in a game And honestly, I feel like the controls on the Switch feel perfectly fine. I was kind of also concerned about that because I was so used to using a joystick. I think you did definitely have a little bit more options on the joystick. I think that you were able to kind of lift your pod sideways a little bit more on some areas by turning the the joystick. So it's it's a little bit different. There's probably things that I haven't really figured out about the Switch version yet, but obviously excited to continue to, you know, look that up and to kind of, you know, learn as I go. I don't really want to look up the controls. I kind of just want to figure them out as I go. It's a little bit more fun that way, but it is, it is incredibly, incredibly fun and I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. So this next one is at Walden Rider so, I just tried out the Star Wars Episode 1 Racer Switch Remake for the first time. Had to look up the controls, but otherwise, just as exhilarating as the Nintendo 64 game. Obviously, this one probably does look a lot better than the Nintendo 64 game as well, but it is exhilarating. I completely agree. Like, I feel like there's certain games that it's like, yeah, you're going really fast, but the controls don't really feel that great. Like, I think Wipeout felt good, but honestly, I have yet to find a game that plays as fast as Star Wars Pod Racer. And still controls as well as Star Wars Pod Racer. I just think that it was just a perfect blend of speed, control, and I don't know. There was something about it that everything just kind of clicked perfectly for that game. And I just I feel like I haven't really missed a, a beat going back to it. So and it's 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 just it's so surprising because I thought this was going to uh, to be completely unplayable when I uh, when I picked it up again, and I was wrong. It is really playable, really fun. If you haven't played it, honestly, I, I recommend it. I can't recommend it enough. So now we also are going to go into some other Nintendo stuff related topics. Min Min, the arms fighter will be available on June 29th for Super Smash Bros. Honestly, only a matter of time before an arms character was revealed. Some people were mad that Min Min was the one that was selected, but she kind of feels like the most Nintendo-y Character. So, I mean, I personally don't have an issue with it. I thought the little animation they did with Captain Falcon was really cool. And you know, I think Min Min's an interesting character. And honestly, if I had a guess, they'll probably add more than one ARMS character in the game. So I really wouldn't be too overstressed out about it. So pretty cool. Pokemon Snap is coming to Nintendo Switch, something that happened last week, but I never had a chance to talk about it. We were talking about lockers last week, and I wanted to kind of dedicate an episode to that, and I figured I'll talk about Pokemon Snap some other time. There is no release date for the Pokemon Snap, but I have to say, as someone that never played the original, it looks pretty good. It looks really, really good. Beautiful. The environments look awesome. It looks really relaxing. It looks like it's a game that I feel like isn't going to be full $60 game, but we'll see. But I think that it looks really, really impressive. I think it looks beautiful. I love how, you know, you had like, I think it was Whale Lord coming out of the uh, the water and the environments, man, they're just unreal. I just wish they made an open world Pokemon game with those environments because it would be incredible. This uh, next piece of news is also with the Pokemon Co. And today they announced their game with Tencent or Tencent. I think it's just Tencent. Not really sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But they announced Pokemon Unite for the Nintendo Switch and Mobile. It'll be a cross-platform multiplayer online battle arena game or a MOBA. And it's basically, yeah, you're using Pokemon moves and you're catching Pokemon. And I guess you're trying to beat the other team in some way, shape or form. I'm not really super familiar with how MOBAs work. I think it's similar though to... I'm trying to think what the name is and I, I can't, it's slipping my, my head, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's looks interesting, I guess, but you know, they showed off like Snorlax, Pikachu, Talonflame, Machamp, Venusaur, Charizard, Blastoise, Clefairy, Gengar, and Lucario. And I think you're basically just trying to, uh, like win the territory and defeat the other team. I think that's kind of the concept of a, a MOBA. you are trying to, I think maybe capture points or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it looks interesting. Like like I said, it's kind of outside of my realm of things that I play, but I'm sure that there are people out there that were really excited to see that announced. And now they're going to have something cool to play. And it's cool that it's cross platform with mobile. And uh, yeah, so I honestly don't really have a lot to say about that. But uh, yeah, this next is going to be some PlayStation notes. I wanted to talk about Star Wars uh, Squadrons for um, October 2nd. I don't want to get super into it, but I just want to say that I think this is going to be a singular topic that I'm going to probably do within the next couple days or next couple weeks. But I think that Star Wars uh, Squadrons is going to be the first actual game that I believe is going to really legitimize VR. I think that this is going to be the game where people are going to really take VR seriously. And I think people have been taking VR more seriously, but this game is going to be the game to do it. And you know, the best thing about VR so far for me has been that little tiny mission that they had for the original Dice Battlefront, when you're in an X-Wing and you get to use the VR. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. It was super fun. It's just the perfect, the perfect situation for VR. And now you're going to combine that with multiplayer and you're going to force everyone to be in first person mode. So there's no, you know, being able to look behind you without physically actually doing it. I'm super excited. Obviously you don't have to be in VR, but this is going to be a legitimate VR experience. And the first one that we've really had to this capacity with this major of an IP, and I could not be more excited. Everyone that I know, I have basically told that the one VR game that I wanted, was a full-fledged X-Wing game. And on October 2nd, we're going to get this. Now, I'll go into more about, you know, this whole, you know, VR conversation in a completely dedicated episode because I have so much to say about it. I don't want to, you know, make this episode super long, but I'm going to have a legitimate conversation about VR with somebody, <laughs> probably Dakota, and why this game is such a big deal because to me it is. And I cannot wait this is going to be the game that's going to usher in VR as one of the most legitimate ways to play games that require flying things and being in vehicles and all that other stuff. So I'm super excited about that. Super excited. And this is going to be a huge game for me. Now, this little next uh, piece here, I just want to talk about The Last of Us 2. I did not get The Last of Us 2. I have a very similar feeling with The Last of Us that I do with like God of War and, you know, some other things. And obviously I went and I played a little bit of the original God of War and this was going back to the first ever episode of Game Pinions where I talked about I had kind of a disconnection because I didn't really grow up with it. The Last of Us I wasn't really a huge fan of. It's not my favorite style of game. I think, you know, me and Kim were on here before and, and we were talking about how, you know, The Evil Within was kind of more of our style for, you know, that kind of, you know, horror survival game. Or this one, it's more, this one's a lot more linear and maybe not really my style. Like, I like the Uncharted games uh, for what they are. I don't think they're the most incredible games in the world. I think they're very good. You know, I think they're actually, you know, probably great. And the original Last of Us was great as well. I never finished it, though. So that kind of bars me from getting The Last of Us 2. So, I mean, I have two copies of The Last of Us. I've gotten that game twice. I got it on PlayStation 3 when it first came out. And I have it on PlayStation 4. And the game that, you know, The Last of Us is known for its stellar story. And the most I played on it was the online factions mode, which is, you know, probably not usually what people played most about that game. This new game doesn't have factions. So I was like, I don't really need it right away, but now I'm seeing everyone react to it and everybody's having a good time with it. I feel a little bit left out. It's like, everyone's having a great time with this game and it's making me want to try it again and, and try to, you know, get through the first game and then hop on to the second. And hopefully I'm able to do that because honestly, I would love to be able to go in and play that game. So I'm thinking about it. I'm still kind of teetering on it. In the next episode, I'll probably update you guys on, on what I've done with the last of us. If I've went in, I'm sure Dakota will have something to say about the last of us in the next episode. And you know, I know he's been playing it. I know a lot of people have been playing it and a lot of people have been liking it. People are like saying they were crying. And I'm just like, what could have possibly happened? Cause I didn't touch any of the spoilers. I think that it was kind of cheap that people were going over the spoilers and then deciding that they didn't want to buy the game and all that. I mean, that's, I guess that's your prerogative, but. I mean, I just was never going to look those up. I just wasn't. So I don't know anything about the spoilers. I did not spoil the game for me. I don't even know what happened at the end of the first game. Like that's how sealed away I was. I don't know a thing about the ending of the first Last of Us. So I am going in almost completely blind if I were to play so and I could still experience The Last of Us for the first time with its ending and I have not been spoiled and I refuse to be spoiled because I don't look up those games. So it's pretty, uh, pretty cool. So kind of wanted to just update everybody on that. I'm thinking about it. I want to get it. I want to play it. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. (laughs) It's just not really my style of game. Horror survival is really not a game that I typically play. I don't think The Last of Us is overly scary, but it's once again, it's just a type of gameplay style that I typically don't really partake in. So, but you know what? It's, it's kind of one of those games where people are playing it and it's almost like if you have a PlayStation, you kind of have to get The Last of Us too, right? It's probably going to be one of the last exclusives that we see on the system, along with, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, which is coming out, I believe, next month, which I'm actually pretty excited for, too. So uh, I think we covered a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. We're going to have more, I guess, of a traditional episode next week. We probably might actually have another one later on this week, but it is Thursday that this episode's going up. So I don't know. We'll see. But I want to thank all of you for listening in and making this month of Game Pinions very fun. We are on episode 51 after this, and uh, we're marching our way towards episode 100. So halfway there, it's been fun. It's been real. And uh, yeah, make sure you guys check out GamePinions.net for all of the latest Game Pinions podcast episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, and uh, yeah, keep on rolling with us. So until next time, keep on keeping on.